Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. This episode I am sticking with a theme I think I've created for myself because this is another strangler. Now he is called Kenneth Erskine, also known as the Stockwell Strangler. Caitlin, have you heard of Kenneth Erskine before? I have not. I get what you mean, though, when you're on a bit of a streak of stranglers. So I feel like it's all just blooding into one. But no, I have not heard of him. Yeah, it's literally just the same person. I keep just making the rest up. But no, no, I'm kidding. Um, Cool. So I will begin. Now, the London borough of Stockwell, which is in South London, it was quite a favourable, or it is still possibly, quite a favourable place for elderly people to retire to. In the summer months of 1986, however, a serial killer known as the Stockwell Strangler began to reign terror amongst this whole community leaving seven people dead and a further four suspected of being victims of him. Now, I'll jump to tell you about the murders and events, and then I'll go back and talk a little bit about who'd done them, but I've not got tons of information. Now, the murders started with the death of 78-year-old Nancy Ems, found dead in her bed in her basement flat in West Hill Road, Wandsworth, on the 9th of April, 1986. At first, the cause of death was thought to have been of natural causes, as Nancy was found lying in her bed with no obvious marks on her body. A doctor called to the scene thought she had been dead about three days and signed a death certificate certifying natural causes. And it was only when Nancy's home help, who had found the body, noticed that a portable TV set was missing that police were then called in. A post-mortem revealed that Nancy had been strangled by bare hands. There was also heavy bruising to her chest, suggesting that her killer had kneeled on her whilst he throttled her. The killer had left virtually no signs of a break-in, but police forensic scientists found one minute clue, which was a short Afro-Caribbean head hair on a bedsheet. Now jump to June the 9th of June 1986, where the body of 67-year-old widow, Mrs Janet Cockett, was found in her flat on the Overton Estate in Stockwell in South London. Now detectives were immediately aware that this was a murder because Mrs Cockett had been savagely sexually assaulted and had two fractured ribs as a result of someone kneeling on her chest. Her nightdress had been ripped from her, then folded up neatly and placed on a bedside chair. And detectives noticed another bizarre feature was that family photographs on the bedroom mantelpiece had been placed face down or they'd been turned away from the crime scene. Police did discover some prints, including a clear pan print at the scene. So this was put on their database. Pathologist Dr Ian West examined the victims and determined that they were all strangled by the killer using only one hand. In such elderly victims, unconsciousness would have occurred within about 30 seconds and then death is normally within about two to three minutes. Detectives working both murders compared notes on both of the crimes, but they couldn't find too much at that stage to link them both. However, this view was clearly going to change. In the early hours of the 27th of June 1986, 
Retired engineer Fred Prentice was asleep in his room in a council-run old people's home in the Cedars Road in Clapham when he was woken by a noise in the corridor outside his room. Mr Prentice saw a young man enter his room and managed to switch on the bedside light as he jumped on him, so as the intruder jumped on him. Mr Prentice tried to shout out, but the killer placed his fingers to his lips in a threatening gesture to the man and told him to be quiet. He then squeezed his windpipe powerfully, then relaxed his grip, and then he squeezed again. As he kept squeezing, he uttered just one word over and over, and those words were kill, kill, kill. Mr Prentice managed to hit an alarm button on his bedside wall, and although no sound came from it, the attacker was off the bed and he escaped in a flash. So Mr Prentice survived. Now, detectives were now very optimistic that the crimes were clearly linked and any remaining doubts that they did have at the beginning, they were quickly just taken away because the killer struck again. Now, the bodies of 84-year-old Valentine Gleam and 94-year-old Polish-born Zbigniew Strabrava were found in their adjoining rooms on the 28th of June 1986 at Somerville Hastings House, which was again an old people's home in Stockwell. Both men had been manually strangled and sexually assaulted. The intruder had been spotted by alert night duty staff, but had vanished before police arrived. The entrance was once again to be determined as an open window. So again, there was no force of entry in these um, in these crimes. And what made this even more horrific kind of and chilling was that the police discovered a used flannel and an electric shaver. So the killer had just kind of calmly washed and shaved after killing two people in a nearby room. Now, Detective Chief Superintendent Ken Thompson of Scotland Yard, he was now put in charge of the case and he was given a squad of over 200 detectives to try to find the man that the newspapers had now dubbed the Stockwell Strangler. So this guy, he doesn't have a name yet. Now, plain clothed officers also watched dozens of old people's homes throughout the nights. Two weeks after the, the horrific double murder, the strangler, he clearly struck again because he's getting away with it. Now, this time he wrong-footed all detectives by murdering on the other side of the River Thames. So this time he was in Islington, which is in North London. Now, 82-year-old widower William Carmen, he was found dead in his bed in his flat on the Marquis estate. The bedsheet was neatly pulled up under his chin and for the first time since the first murder, there were clear signs of theft. 400 to 500 pounds of Mr Carmen's savings were missing and there were clear signs of ransacking. On the See at this time, are they, sorry, are they linking these crimes at the time, like the police, or are they just like all happening and not being linked yet? They are now being linked. They're right, still okay. happening and I think it's... Once it happens, they're cl they're clearly going back to this big. They've put like an investigation and a squad together. So I think they're slowly putting everything together and then you know linking them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Now, on the twelfth of July, nineteen eighty six, seventy five year old Trevor Thomas was found dead in the bath at his home in Barton in Clapham. However, little forensic evidence remained because Mr Thomas had been dead for some time. And it was due to this 
that he was not counted amongst the Strangler's victims, although he probably clearly was one of the victims. But again, there was no proof to this. So that's one awful kind of thing that you can never, there's never, it's never going to be proven, but you can always think, and the police think as well, look, these are all connected. Now jump to the 20th of July 1986, the body of 74-year-old William Downs was found in his flat on the Overton estate in Stockwell. He had been strangled, which you know is the familiar way now, and police were able to pick up an excellent new lead from the murder scene. On the garden gate and off the kitchen wall, they were able to lift a clear set of the killer's palm prints. Now you would think though that it would be the usual thing to match the prints with the ones that they already took at, um, I think it was the second murder or the first one, and um, it must be on file at Scotland Yard. But in 1986, although fingerprints had already been transferred onto computer disk, the process of transferring palm prints, that hadn't even begun yet. So detectives had to um, look through four million files but they concentrated on London-based burglars and petty crooks. So that was able to reduce the lot by quite a lot, like a manageable size. Now, it did take them, though, three months to go through this, completely just searching and searching and searching. But it paid off because detectives were able to match the prints found at both crime scenes to those of a Kenneth Erskine. He was a small-time crook who had a long record of arrests for burglary and minor offences. However, police did not know where to find Kenneth, and it was whilst they were searching for him that he killed his final victim. 80-year-old Florence Tisdill was found in her apartment at Ranley Gardens, which is close to Putney Bridge, on the 24th of July, 1986. She had spent the previous day watching the televised wedding of the Duke and Duchess of York, which unfortunately is the non-sweater Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson. But she had even got her hair done, especially for the event to watch it. And sadly, she was found dead the next day and she had been manually strangled, sexually assaulted, and she had broken ribs where her killer had kneeled on her chest. The police search for Erskine intensified, but as he was a drifter with no permanent address, they were reduced to searching through hundreds of squats and hotels in South London. Now, you can imagine there are a lot of these in South London. The fact that Erskine was on a killing spree and he could kill again at any time made them move quickly. Their big break came when they discovered that Erskine was claiming unemployment benefit from the Department of Social Security, which was in Southwark. I think I probably pronounced that wrong. And was due to collect his next cheque on the 28th of July. Work. Or am I thinking of somewhere different? I think it is spelt that way, but you don't pronounce the W. Okay. So it's like like su- like Suffolk, but Southwark. 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 Yeah, yeah, let's, right. Yeah, no W, okay? Right. Anyway, he was in that place because he was due to collect his next cheque on the 28th of July. Now, a team of detectives kept watch on the building and Erskine turned up right on time to collect his money. As he joined the queue, detectives put on the handcuffs and he didn't make any struggle at all. And the reign of the Stockwell Strangler, that was it. That was it at an end. Now, 
It was when detectives began to question Erskine that they realised that they had an uphill struggle on their hands because Erskine spent the majority of his many hours of questioning, giggling, staring out the window into the sky or even masturbating. He was clearly a disturbed individual and he wasn't a complete fool because in his possession, detectives found details of 10 bank and building society accounts that Erskine had opened to hide the proceeds of his burglaries. Now, detectives noted that he had been paid or he had paid in nearly £3,000 during his killing spree while still drawing the unemployment benefit. The palm prints were damning evidence, um, but they only placed Erskine at two of the murder scenes. And with Erskine refusing to talk, detectives searched for other evidence. Sorry, evidence. Fred Prentice willingly attended an identity parade at Clapham Police Station and picked Erskine out of the lineup without a second's hesitation. Scotland Yard also took the unusual step of issuing his picture to the media in an attempt to find more witnesses. The response brought in several leads, including a woman who saw Erskine on Putney Bridge, 200 yards from the scene of the final murder on the night in question. Before I go on, just a small bit about Kenneth. He was born to an English mother who was called Margaret and an Antiguan father who was called Charles, and he was brought up in Putney. He was one of four sons and was remembered by neighbours to be a chubby Bible reading person. Like, I don't know if I'd want to be reminded of that, but there you go. Now, Erskine soon became difficult to control and he received his education at a series of schools for children who are unable to cope with the demands of a normal social environment. Several times he violently attacked teachers and pupils and appeared to inhabit a fantasy world. Erskine clearly had already kind of, you want to say that serial killer kind of murderer impulses because he attempted to drown several pupils on a swimming pool outing and he once stabbed a teacher in the hand with a pair of scissors. Several periods in jail followed as Erskine graduated to just being an unsuccessful burglar. Burglar. I'll say that right. Burglar. It... <laughs> burglar. Burglar. <laughs> Sorry. His own family cut themselves off from him and he had no contact with them for years. And when police arrested Erskine for the stranglings, they discovered that he had been a Rastafarian, but he'd also been shunned by fellow Rastafarians due to his habit of stealing. Little is known of his early life due to the lack of detailed study of him and his only possessions were the clothes he stood up in and several building society books. So there's not tons I can tell you about him and like there's not loads on his early life either. So I'll go back to 1988. Now Erskine's trial started at the Old Bailey on the 12th of January 1988 where he was charged with seven murders and the attempted murder of Mr Prentice. Erskine pleaded not guilty to all of the charges but looked around the courtroom vacantly as though he was unaware of where he was. The jury was visibly moved while listening to the evidence, particularly in the case of Mr Prentice's testimony, because he went up on the stand. They also heard that Erskine had confessed to burgling the victims, but claimed that someone else must have followed him and then killed them. 
After a trial lasting 18 days, Erskine was convicted of all the charges and he was jailed for seven life terms with a minimum of 40 years to be served. Police believe that Erskine may have killed before his first known victim and police theorise that due to the frailty and age of the choice of Erskine's victims and the lack of obvious injuries, many may have been attributed to natural causes and it remains like kind of a frightening thought that he may have killed well more people because he got away with it for so long and again you're picking on a victim that can't fight back and I guess we're all kind of we all kind of think it sometimes like you know if they're really old and you're like oh well you know they've lived their life or they had a good run they were frail they were this you know you don't check on these things as often now Erskine he remains a mystery he's um psychiatrist they fail to be able to get into his mind he just refuses to talk he's a problem distinguishing fantasy from reality and he remains locked in his childlike world so I read somewhere that he sometimes thinks he's like an 11 year old instead of his age now his mental state right okay get what you mean yeah his mental state has deteriorated um, to an alarming extent and although one incident that I read suggests that he may, may still be able to determine right from wrong because on the 23rd of February 1996 he was the sole factor that prevented convicted killer Paul Wilson from murdering Peter Sutcliffe in Broadmoor. So Peter Sutcliffe what? was a Yorkshire Ripper. Yeah so Erskine managed to restrain Wilson from inflicting further injury which is right, just mental. Right so he definitely knows the difference between right and wrong. Yeah, but again, is it one of those switches in his mind? One day he might, one day he might not. But I mean, if you're put up there with Paul Wilson and York, the Yorkshire Ripper, you're oh, mental. Anyway, many psychiatrists, they continue to probe the mind and they do attempt to reach the bottom of why he is the way he is or why he did what he did. But as of yet, it remains a complete mystery. Uh he was in Broadmoor Secure Hospital and I believe there was an article only a couple months ago that it's um, he was in Broadmoor and then he's supposed to serve life. However, he's eligible for parole only in 2028, but nurse minders recently escorted him on visits into the community close to Thornford Park Medium Secure Unit, which is in Thatcham in Berkshire where he's been held since 2016. Now, I believe he's to die in prison, but with that only coming out, I say a few months ago, it was just the 1st of April. It could be that he's starting to kind of reform. Yeah, so it's one of those ones. Like, how did he have a minimum sentence he had to serve before he could apply for parole? 40 years, which in 1988 had 40 you do the math because I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting. I was like, eh, is that not? That'll be 2028. 2028. Oh. <laughs> 2028. Yeah. So, yeah. Which is only in like, what, five years? Right. So it could be that they know he's. <laughs> Sorry. That could be that they know he's going to get parole. So they're maybe starting, like, I've heard of this before where it's like programs of like slowly, re- like, 
exposing like a um, offender to the community again because obviously going into jail in the 80s and then coming out now especially if he's mental. got some sort of yeah if he's got some sort of mental conditions that's going to be really difficult so it could be that they're kind of getting him back out into the community and into society and seeing how he copes and if they think he would then successfully transition back into society or if they believe he's going to offend again so it could be that they're actually starting to put the work in now and it might be like a five odd year plan or something yeah no I completely agree with you and this person I think he is he does have issues like yeah he is not of a sane mind and I guess it's like this should we be rehabilitating them you just never know how how old was he when he committed the crimes? I actually don't know. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm so sorry. Right, Let when was he born? Oh, right. wait, sorry. Uh, no. Uh-huh, right. But anyway, he's obviously, like, I... I want to say about 24. Right, okay. We've had this debate quite a lot, though, about do we think rehabilitation is doable and I think from what we've heard about the whole someone trying to kill Sutcliffe and stuff like that it could be that he's gone into jail and has completely turned his life around like we don't know enough information so I think this is when it's really difficult because yes I believe in life sentences and I believe that you know if he's taken someone's life he should serve out his sentence but has he served long enough and actually is it what I don't know I find it really, I, I get really stuck in it because I'm like, that's really good that he's maybe a complete different person, but then that's not fair in all the victims and the victims' families. But is it worth keeping him in prison for the rest of our, for the rest of his life when he could rehabilitate and go back into the community? However, he'll be what? In his late he'll 60s, be 70s? No, he'll be 65. Oh, thank it. God. So he right, was 25, great. 24 when he did it. Right, so yeah, he's then going to be how long? Like, he's not going to work. No. He's then just going to kind of claim a pension. What pension? Would he get oh, got a state pension, wouldn't he? Probably. I don't Surely. even know. Do you get one when you're dead? Not dead. He's, He's not alive. Dead. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Fuck <laughs> sake. But you I get could... one when you've been a murderer. And like... Well, yeah, I, I guess Everybody gets a state pension, yeah. don't they? Because then what's he going to do? Yeah, that like, is I true. feel like actually without being horrible, it might be easier for him to stay in jail. To yeah. be honest, but three meals a day and a warm place to be. I don't exactly. Know. Whereas, do you know, it's not like he's worked to have a work pension, so it would just be your state pension. So, let us good know. for thought. Yeah, yeah. please let us please know your do. thoughts because I'm genuinely intrigued. Do you think a life sentence would be a life sentence, or do you think rehabilitation is possible? I'm sure, we've asked this before, but we'll ask again. Yeah, and we are on the the Instagram. I sound so old. But it's the crime pod underscore. So drop us a message. Um, we can we reply mostly quickly, but sometimes not so much. I'm not great at that. Sorry, <laughs> but we do care and we want your view. 